All right, what's up, AFC? I hope everybody is doing well tonight. Um, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Matt, and I get to work with um, the college students here at UCC. And um, because I have this role and this title with Aggies for Christ, I kind of get to be in charge of some decision-making around here. And so tonight, some decisions have been made. First of all, um, I get to preach on my favorite book in the Bible tonight, and that's Joshua. I get to preach about my favorite character in the Bible, not named Jesus, that's a man named Caleb. And I got to preach with one of my favorite people in the world, and that's my best friend, um, Taylor Gobble, right here. And uh, jointly, we made a decision to preach in superhero t-shirts, and we promised to do our best to tie that into the lesson tonight. Um, but seriously, the reason why Taylor's up here tonight just isn't because he's my friend or because he's, a, because he's a good public speaker. He's up here tonight because I want you to hear from the heart of somebody who has such a big role in this ministry. I want you to hear about, uh, a little bit about his story in AFC and about the way that he interpreted scripture in the story of Caleb tonight. Uh, twice a week, Taylor opens his home up to AFC on uh, Mondays for the guy's small group. He not only opens his home, but he helps lead and facilitates the study there. And then on Wednesday nights, we have our Christian house party called Tea at Taylor's. And that's when um, all of you guys come over to um, Taylor's house and we have sweet tea and, and just a really good time with everybody. And, um, what that's done, what Tia Taylor's has done is it's created this like family environment here. What makes AFC what it is isn't the, uh, it's not the preaching, it's not the singing, it's not the lights or the stage or the church or whatever it is. Um, it's the community and it's the fire, family environment that we have here. And so uh, with that being said, tonight is the last Tia Taylor's. Um, we're going to uh, invite everybody over there to that tonight, but next week after AFC we're going to have a bonfire. It's going to be a big bad bonfire over here in the, uh, over here in the parking lot. Um, the past two times we've had bonfires here we've had the fire department called um, because small houses were on fire so that's a pretty good that's a pretty good uh, little advertisement for our, for how big they've been and then uh, and then lastly just to kind of build off this community thing next Saturday um, the second Mason's kind of leading up a barbecue an AFC barbecue so we're just going to end the semester with just being together just being together as a family well as Matt said my name is Taylor Gobble I am a MSU grad host church UCC. Now if you haven't gone to UCC yet, I really encourage you to go. It's a great place to get plugged in and to uh, really get some, a lot from our older members. Um, I've been a part of AFC for about two years now. Uh, a big part of my growth as a Christian has been because of AFC and in AFC small groups have been a big part of that too. Growing close and godly men has had a huge effect on my life and my faith. Um, also coming and hearing good speakers like Matt speak on Wednesday night and Sunday morning, I have been moved and convicted to change. And because of those sermons, it, I'm very honored to be able to speak with you guys tonight. Well, tonight, uh, Taylor and I are going to be telling you a story about a, a character named Caleb. Now, this is a story of, um, the story of Caleb, it fits right here in the, in the book of Joshua. It's a story of faithfulness. It's a story um, and about God rewarding those who wait on him. Um, Taylor's going to tell us a little more about Caleb, but um, Caleb's story isn't separate from what we've been talking about for the past um, four weeks uh, with the study of Joshua. So um, the book of Joshua, as we've said before, is broken into broken into four parts, and I think we have that on the next slide. So the first week we talked about the crossing of the Jordan. When God took his people into the Israel, to, when he took his people into the promised land, um, he had to do some miracles. He had to step up and he had to be there for the people to get there. Secondly, last week we talked about how they had to conquer the land, how miracles were done initially to where Joshua starts seeing these things. He's like, man, like, I can pray for miracles now. I can pray for the sun to stand still, and it will, and we talked about that. Now tonight we're going to talk about dividing the land. Now this is a story um, 
about people getting their inheritance, but it's far more than God um, giving out property and dividing landlines. What this is, it's a story about God being faithful and saying kind of like, hey, like, I told you I was going to be faithful to you. Um, this is your inheritance, not because you are good and a deserving people of this, but because I am good and you are mine. And the last section that we'll talk about next week is, is um, serving the Lord in the land. Once, uh, once the Israelites inherited the promised land or once, uh, once we find our salvation, then it's, up to, then it's up to us to choose how you will serve the Lord, or in their case, if. And then the main theme that I've been pushing with this book as hard as I can is that the book of Joshua is a book about how things start going really, really well for God's people when they finally start doing what he asked them to do. Now, when I preach in the Old Testament or when I preach in the New Testament or just whenever um, I preach at all, what I want to try to do my best to do is point out that the Bible, exactly how it is now, exactly how it's put together now, is relevant for handling the problems of 2015, for answering your questions about life in 2015. I understand it was recorded 2,000 years ago. Like, I, I get that. But the power and the wisdom and the ability to heal and restore is just as real today as it was then. So, when we look at Joshua, um, I know most of you probably haven't been reading along as I, as I go through these summaries of the chapters, but um, if you remember nothing at all about this book, um, just know that in the book of Joshua, as a believer, we see a lot of wins. We see a lot of um, God's people finding victory, God's people conquering, um, just things start going well for God's people. It's kind of awesome as a believer to read. Now, um, we can look at this and say, hmm, like, Maybe if I started doing things in my life, like here's the application point, right? Maybe if I started doing things um, in, in my life that God wanted me to do, things would get better. Maybe in my relationships, if I cut out toxic people or if I, if I learned to love those toxic people better, maybe my relationships would get better. Or maybe, uh, maybe at your job, if you started putting out an effort that was glorifying to God, maybe your, maybe your time at work would be, would be better suited. Uh, maybe financially or emotionally, but most importantly, spiritually, things would get better if I would just finally submit to the plans that God has for my life. And Caleb was a perfect example of, uh, of this faithfulness and this finally wanting to do the things that God asks you to do. Caleb also is one of my favorite people in the Bible. If there was like a Christian all-star team that spanned time, Caleb would definitely be on it. He was a star player who accepted his position as a role player. He's a man who was faithful to God through a ton of trials, and at the end of all those trials, he received his inheritance in full. We first learn of Caleb in the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 13, verse 6. He was one of 12 spies chosen to scout out the promised land to figure out what enemies exactly the Israelites were going to face. Along with figuring out how strong and how fortified these cities were, their duty was to judge the fertility of the land. Once they gather enough information, they're going to bring it back to Moses and report on what they found. They, wanted, they really wanted to know what they were facing and if it truly was a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, I don't know if you guys have heard that term, land flowing with milk and honey. What does that even mean? Um, it's used quite often in the Bible. Well, it, it really, that land was flowing with milk and honey. There's plenty of room for livestock to graze and grow, and the bees and birds were a flutter. But if we use it in a general term, it really means that the land is fertile and that it's good for uh, society to grow. But if we were thinking maybe like some modern terms, it'd be a Starbucks on every corner, uh, a place where every restaurant had a college discount, and uh, the entire town had Wi-Fi, something like that. That would, be, that would be the promised land of 2015. The promised land was incredible. It was equipped with all the necessities for a society to thrive and to grow. God had promised the land to the Israelites for a reason. 
he knew was the best place for his people. The 12 spies, when we went into the land, they found evidence of this. It says in uh, Numbers 13, verse 23, they cut grapes that were so big, a cluster of grapes so big, it took two men to carry it. Now, I had trouble kind of picturing this in my mind, and I googled large grapes. And the biggest ones I found were about the size of a 50-cent piece, which is a big grape, but what I really thought of is that Fruit of the Loom guy being carried between two guys, and that was probably like the size of that large cluster of grapes. That's enough grapes to feed the Kardashian family. I, uh, also, when they found the giant, they found giants in this land. The, the enemies of this land were huge people, uh, descendants of giants. And so the sight of these giants struck fear into the hearts of 10 out of the 12 spies. I can't help but think how foolish most of these spies were. Did they really think it'd be that easy just to waltz into the promised land and just take it? Were they going to go knocking door to door and saying, hey, you know, this is kind of awkward, but God promised us this land, so you got to go. No, they weren't going to do that. These were giants. These were crazy, amazing warriors. They were going to fight for their land. The road to receiving God's promise is not an easy one. If it were easy, it wouldn't be worth it. If it were easy, this room would be packed with believers. I think we fall into that same trap in our Christian walk. That once we become Christians, all our enemies will be vanquished and it's just smooth sailing. When you decide to follow Christ, the work is just beginning. As believers, we have to face giants. But we have no reason to fear. Caleb and Joshua were the only two spies out of 12 who had no fear of these giants. Everybody else was shaking in their sandals. And Caleb and Joshua were confident in the Lord their God and the power that he had. Now, I'm going to read a passage, and I want you to pay, pay attention to the difference in the reports that Caleb and Joshua bring and the rest of the spies. So in Numbers 13, 27 through 28, says this, And they told him, and that's today's the other spies, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. Do they not think that God's power can handle that? That's a small problem. God created those giants. If he wanted to, he could pluck them apart cell by cell. But listen to the flip side. Listen to what Caleb says. Well, actually, let's, let's figure out what it looks like now. The spies have been gone for a couple months. This wasn't a quick trip. They didn't just go out, look at the land, and come back. They're gone for months at a time. They came back, and all the Israelites were there to hear the report of this land. So when they start talking about giants, fear is rippling through the crowd. And you could probably hear the murmurs like, we can't do this, we're going to die. They're gonna, these giants are going to kill us. But then Caleb steps up right here and says this. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against these people, for they are stronger than we are. They had no faith. They had no faith in the God that had brought them out of Egypt. Now, I, I, um, do you guys remember fire drills when you're in school? You know, you're walking out, orderly lines, like you're going to a picnic, but there's alarms screeching and everything like that. I actually got to be a fire drill leader once. It was great. I got a little sticker, a little badge, and it was great. I actually showed it like that. It's like a real Vanna White thing. And, uh, you know, and it felt great. I felt like I had all this power. And I didn't do this two-line thing. I didn't do boys and girls line. I did boy, girl, boy, girl. Because even then I knew you got to put a bro next to his bae when you can. Um, 
But despite the numerous fire drills that I had in grade school and all through high school, I couldn't help but think, this is not what would happen if there's a real fire. Everybody would be running over each other, trying to get out to save their lives. They would forget the plan, because that plan would have worked. I mean, if there's a fire and you guys are orderly fashion getting out of the building, we'd all make it. That's a plan that would work. Now, that's kind of what's happening with the Israelites right now. They've seen God's power. They saw him part the Red Sea, and they walked across on dry land. They saw manna come down from the sky when they were hungry. They forgot the plan. They forgot that God had a plan to bring them in the promised land. And as soon as they had to fight for it, they were running scared. Now, we're going to go on and read more about this crazy pandemonium. In Numbers chapter 14, let me get my paper set here. Chapter 14, verse 2, we'll start there. Uh, This is when the people are freaking out. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would it that we had died in the land of Egypt, or that we had died in the wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Okay, I don't know if you guys realize this, but they were in slavery in Egypt. Why would they want to go back to Egypt? They are so scared of these giants, so scared of dying and not remembering who their God was that they wanted to go back into slavery. But then listen to Caleb. Caleb and Joshua set themselves apart right here. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those, had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we passed through to spy it out is exceedingly good land. And if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that truly flows with milk and honey. Now you hear Caleb and Joshua say that, and you're like, heck yeah, that's right. I mean, but I can't help but identify with the Israelites' disbelief. Because admittedly, in times of crisis, I have forgotten the faithfulness of God. I have forgotten how through no power of my own, God has got me through some of the darkest, some of the most difficult times of my life. But I want to be born like Caleb. I want to be faithful in the times of crisis, not just when the sun's shining. Now God speaks of Caleb's devotion two different times in Numbers. In Numbers 14, 24, he says that he has a different spirit and that he followed him wholeheartedly. Then again, chapter 32, verse 12, he sets Caleb and Joshua apart by saying this, they followed wholeheartedly while the others did not. God rewarded Caleb for his faithfulness and devotion, but God also justly rewarded the unfaithful. Because of the disbelief of so many, the Israelites were forced to wander the desert until all the men of fighting age had died. Forty long years later, they were finally at the border to their inheritance, the Jordan River. So what Taylor set up here is this, this idea that now God's going to be extremely faithful to his people, right? But the cool thing about this story is that the story of Caleb is like this little blip out of the narrative. It's like the story almost stops for a second, and we're going to tell you about Caleb and why he gets, why he gets his inheritance. Um, you know, this was a people that didn't exactly, they didn't exactly deserve the promised land, but I'm going to make a bold statement when I said I don't know the heart of God. I didn't exactly know Caleb's whole life, but from a very human perspective, probably deserved the promised land. Like he really did. He was one at the beginning who said like, we can do this. 
And so during this time of, during this time of handing out land and how, handing out inheritances, um, Caleb goes to Joshua and he's just like, hey man, we need to talk. Um, Joshua 14, 8 through 9 says, yet I wholly, this is Caleb speaking, yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore to me on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. So Caleb's kind of like, okay, everybody's getting, everybody's getting theirs, Joshua. It's got to be my turn. It's got to be my turn. We keep reading in verse 10. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel was walking in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as I was that day Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then. Kind of heroic, right? Kind of heroic. I think, I think the more that I grow in my faith, um, the way I start to view heroes kind of changes. Like when, I was, when I'm thinking superheroes, like it has to be Superman. To me, it has to be Superman. Um, he's the strongest. He's the, uh, he has the most powers. He's just like, to me, like the purest of motives. Like it had to be Superman, but, but that's fantasy. Uh, then it kind of grew up a little bit more. I'm just like, okay, like sports figures, you know, like Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, like the things they did on the court, the things they could do with the basketball. I was just like, man, like that was heroic to me almost. And you start to grow up a little bit and you see the things some of these guys do off the court and you're like, man, like, that life doesn't really bode well to, to being a hero off the court. The, the older I get, I'm starting to see heroes in different light. Um, I think there's heroes in our church everywhere. The, the Fisher family, they, they close down our church every Sunday and they, and they clean it. It's a job that I didn't know that they had until, uh, until I'd been working here for a couple months. Uh, a man named Andy, who... Uh, he does sign language for the, for the deaf members of our church. Every first service, he sits there and signs. Now, that doesn't sound very hero- heroic, um, but the thing is, we have one deaf member of our church. And week in and week out, Andy goes, and he sits in front of this man, and he, and he articulates what the, what the songs are about, what's being preached, so that this man can hear the good news. To me, that is a hero. You see, Caleb is a hero. Year after year, trial after trial, disappointment after disappointment. And yet it says multiple times in Scripture, he wholly followed the Lord. A preacher from the 1700s, his name is Jonathan Edwards, um, he had some resolutions that he lived by that I think described the life of Caleb quite well. Resolution number one, I will live for God. Resolution number two, even if no one else does, I still will. This was Caleb, and as, as my faith becomes more real to me, um, this has started to become how I classify real heroes. A few nights ago, Matt and I were sitting and eating meat from a beast we had just slain. It was actually right after we'd saved the city from apparent danger. We were pretty hungry. No, I'm just kidding. There are steaks from Albertsons. But uh, at, as we were eating, we pondered this question. I, I wonder if Caleb and Joshua were friends. I mean, they had to be, right? Especially while they're wandering the desert and the people of fighting age were dying left and right. Guys that stood beside them are dying left and right. They'd seen the promised land. They'd held that fertile soil in their hands. They'd eaten the grapes of giants. Yet they were stuck in the hot sun eating manna. Earlier when I spoke of community, it was not just a weekly nod to small groups. I honestly believe that I could not be a Christian without surrounding myself with good Christian men. Life is hard. And don't let anyone tell you any different. Christ, uh, I've taken steps away from Christ and not towards him. The ways of the world are strong and unfortunately they seem 
to make sense in the moment. We justify our sin. We justify our sin so we don't have to be responsible for our actions. We say things like, well, I, I do love this person, and we probably will get married, so I guess we can have sex. Or no one really looks at how, how many hours I work, so it's not going to matter if I put down a few extra. In that moment of sin, we forget God. We forget his plan. God has a bigger plan for you and your relationships. God has a bigger plan for you at your job, at your school. But when we stray from that plan, we need someone that we can rely on, someone that will bring us back. We, we need an advocate. Caleb and Joshua had to rely on each other. They wouldn't have made it otherwise. Maybe they ate manna together on Wednesday nights and talked about the promised land, talked about what was to come. Together they kept their eyes fixed on the goal. Caleb and Joshua did not forget God in the moment. Together they stood out against a crowd of disbelievers. So my question to you is, who's standing with you? When the world turns away from God, what Christian brother or sister is with you? The story of the Israelites is in the Bible for a reason. Sure, it provides historical context, but every single word in the Bible points to one thing, Jesus Christ and sacrifice he made on the cross. So the question becomes, do you always believe that God is for your good? Or better, maybe better worded would be, do you always believe that God is for you? Do you always believe that God is for you? Taylor makes a great point. All of this, everything, this church, your life, it, it's all to pursue the cross. And the cross is the greatest thing that God and Jesus could have done for us. But do we believe that? While wandering in the desert as an Israelite, could you have believed that something better was coming? From Caleb's perspective, could you have, could you have kept the faith that many years knowing that your inheritance was, was still coming? Sometimes this walk can be really tough. Actually, the person who describes the Christian walk as a walk probably isn't doing it right. The, the Christian walk would probably be better described as a painful, agonizing crawl, and I don't, I don't say that to discourage you. It, it's just a fact of the matter. Now the question becomes after that is, do you wholly believe that he's working for your good? In these trials, do you wholly believe that he's working for your good? See, Caleb did. He stayed faithful for his whole entire life. He wholly followed the Lord, and he finally received his inheritance. Something good is coming your way. Our responsibility is to have faith in the waiting. Will you all pray with us? Dear Heavenly Father, we are uh, immensely thankful for stories about um, heroes of the faith in your word. God, Caleb was a um, a man that wholly followed you, and he doesn't get much praise. He doesn't get, he doesn't get very many chapters dedicated to him. He gets a little blip of his life, um, but it's a faithful one, and it's one that we should, um, we should look to and try to, try to imitate, Lord. Um, we're, so, we're so thankful for a, a body of believers um, where we can stand side by side with people who really do want to push us towards the cross. Like Caleb had Joshua, like Joshua had Caleb, Lord. We're thankful for um, this group that has each other in a world that says, um, in the world that says there's more to offer out there than, than religion and than, than following rules. God, we're so thankful um, that we have brothers and sisters that stand next to us as we pursue something that we do know to be better, and that's your son, and that's the cross. Lord, thank you most of all for your son and the sacrifice that he had to make. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.